Welcome to First Time Through. New Eyes on Castle Rock. With Kim Payne. And Otto Mullins. Welcome to First Time Through. New Eyes on Castle Rock. With Kim Payne. And Otto Mullins. song just played it sounds good i enjoyed editing it because i forgot how much i liked our music our music's pretty fantastic <laughs> welcome back constant listeners i am your host Otto mullets and i'm kim Payne. this is our first time re-welcoming you back into the show you know life getting back to normal kind of slapped me real hard just out of nowhere too it seemed like you know it was like one week it was all the restrictions 75 percent or 25 percent capacity and then out of nowhere it was like all right everything's open you got your vaccine you can go out into the wild again good luck good luck with that yeah so you know readjusting to real life was really tough especially but well i'd also spent you know we'd both spent six months just doing podcasting and like that was kind of the biggest joy is just only having to focus on that was really nice and then all of a sudden everything happened and the fire nation life and oh my gosh and you know and my kid graduated from high school and jocelyn congratulations jocelyn (laughs) so Um, yeah you know we just had a couple months of a little bit of insanity here but i feel like we're on the verge of getting back in a rhythm do you want we have a plan do you want to share the plan with everyone kim we have a plan okay so we're going to yay plan we're going to uh give ourselves two weeks to read our prep material between episodes so you'll be expecting an episode of of our stephen king experiences every other thursday instead of every thursday with work and real life all happening one week's just not enough time to consume all of that material and be able to understand it in the off weeks do you want to talk about that Otto? yeah um and you know now i'm kind of torn as i'm sitting here thinking about it maybe you're right and we shouldn't like announce it just yet and just kind of tease that we do have plans for those weeks in between You know, we have a lot of stuff that Kim and I have talked about wanting to go back and talk about. We have really great questions and comments uh, from people that we'd love to have included in previous episodes that we'd already edited and put out before those comments had came in. Uh, And, you know, we read a lot uh, and there's lots of other things we want to talk about. So we're talking about putting together a short format kind of podcast where we'd be able to share that with you and be a little bit more uh, communicate, not communicative. What is what is that? A little bit more of a uh, experience to share with the listeners. A little because, more casual. Yeah, definitely more casual. Because yeah, first I time mean, because how many times have we, after we recorded an episode and we listened to it again, we're like, oh man, we forgot to talk about. Yeah, so many times, and I think, especially editing them and going through like the revival episode uh, that you're about to listen to. I don't want to spoil anything, but there was a couple of things now that like listening back on it, I was like, oh, wow, like I forgot that that happened. That is really good. You know, I've, it's been fun re-listening to some of the through some of our podcast stuff just because it's reinvigorated this fire. And I'm really excited to start creating content for everyone again. Me too. So for sure, um, you know, we have confirmed and we talk about it enough that we have to do Eyes of the Dragon soon. 
Absolutely. So, God, I just got done rereading that and I cannot wait till you till we can talk about it because I know you started reading it too. Yeah, I only got partway through before life just kind of exploded. Uh, but, you know, I have a long drive, so maybe that's something that uh, I'll start putting into my drive. What is the other one? Okay, so Eyes of the Dragon. We're also going to be doing The Body, um, which you may also know from the popular Stephen King uh, movie, Stand By Me. Yes. Uh, this is the short story that it's based on, right? Right. And this will be the... if. Correct me if... No, no, it won't be. We're almost at the end of different seasons. We've really spaced this one out. We have. We have. Um, but I'm real excited to get to the bridge. I know that we've both read Joe's book. Oh, and I cannot I wait to talk about it. It was so good. It's amazing. And we're going to so do good. all... I, I can't wait to just do a, an episode specially dedicated to that. Because it was really, really special. Uh, and I hope that if you enjoy well-written literature in a way that you know you could share it with your kids and they could get a lesson from it while also being entertained but you as an adult can pick it up and read through it and also be just as enthralled by the ideas of an ai becoming completely sentient but also in a way that's never really done in literature yeah um, the, the sci-fi meets fantasy aspects of it were just so so cool yeah. It was like, I don't know, it's like The Hobbit meets Ready Player One or something. It was really oh, cool. Yeah, it's really exciting. And I'm really uh, excited. It's a trilogy. He already has it planned out. Uh, and, you know, if you follow him on Facebook at Joe Leakers, comma, author slash writer, and we'll put that in the description, he's been dropping like little hints and like sentences from the like second and third book, too. And there was and one of them that was dropping... even. Go ahead. He's dropping uh, weekly YouTube uh, episodes that are the audiobook chapters from yeah. The Bridge. And Alex does such a great job reading it. Oh it's my really gosh, it's wonderful. amazing. And it's all, uh, Joe also does music. So he uh, creates his own orchestration. So all of the music that you'll hear in that audiobook, which is available on Audible and Amazon and anywhere you can buy an audiobook, um, is done by him. Uh, it's just incredible. He's really, really great. Please uh, make sure you give it a chance to uh, check that out. Uh, continue to check us out. Our Patreon, uh, while it has been very dead and dry, will soon be reinvigorated with life like a tree sprouting anew in spring. I know that sounded like kind of impressive, and that was, that was all pretty just poetic. like that was all off the dome. That was all just <laughs> me. Um, but regardless, we're really, really excited to be uh catching our second wind and i think it's going to be more of a permanent wind i know that feels and, that way for me and we're real glad that you guys have hung out with us and made it through this dry spell and cannot wait to get moving again so the final plea to you uh this next episode is uh fun and enjoyable and we hope that you enjoy it but please take a second to share this podcast with someone just to continue. Tell them that this is the perfect time to jump back in. It's the perfect time for them to catch up. We only have 20 episodes and we're about to start adding more to our, our lexicon. And after that, we're going to be off and rolling and it's going to be a lot harder to catch up. Um, so share the podcast with your friends. And then also we're going to need, you know, random reading materials and we're going to need conversation pieces for this new, uh, this new placeholder that we're creating, this bookmark. Um, so please send us anything you'd love to talk about or you'd love to hear our opinions on. We'd love to share that with you and we'd love to hear what you have to say. 
Thanks for hanging out with us. And thank you for listening. Enjoy this episode. Yeah. I will say Revival, like, I think we were a little harsh on it. We'd been coming off some really, like, we'd been we, coming we off of some off other some things. We did come off some powerhouses into Revival, and it was not not it, as strong. It's a good story. The Revival is no stand. Let's just say no, that. No, no, it is not. But it's still worth having an episode on and i'm very glad we did that yes Alrighty. well constant listeners constant friends enjoy this next episode welcome to first time through i'm your host Otto mullins and i'm kim Payne. and this is my first time through the second half of revival by our main friend, Stephen King. Steve, as we call him here. Um, Kim, had you read this book before? I did. I read it when it was brand new, and um, it had been a while since I'd had a brand new book, so I was pretty excited about it. Definitely. I felt like much more recent than a lot of his, uh, than the other stuff we've read, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you and, know, we and taught the, you, Sorry, go ahead. I was saying this. Um, this one was kind of a departure from a lot of the stuff that he had been doing leading up to this. So it was neat. I enjoyed this when it was new, what even though did, it was kind of a slow start. What did this come out around, like chronologically? Do you remember? Or I, I if not, I'll list. look it up real quick. I have my list. Hang on one sec here. There we go. Sorry, my list had gotten sorted out of order. Huh. It had gotten sorted in ABC order. I'm like, no, 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 I don't want alphabetical order. I want chronological order. Um, I found a list, too. Let's see. Where's Revival? Revival was 2014. Yeah, so we got Dr. Sleep in the fall of 13. But then right around this, we got, Mr. right before this, we got Mr. Mercedes, which is more of a crime thriller, uh... And then this, which was kind of a throwback, I feel, to um, the early horror days. The the Carrie, Firestarter, Salem's Lot, more horror. Um, and then following this, we got Finder's Keepers, which was the sequel to Mr. Mercedes. Right. And then, so, and End of Watch, which was the, the completion of that trilogy. So, you know, this was... Uh, a throwback to those horror days in a time that he was writing those crime thrillers too. So, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, all in all, like it wasn't bad. Like I did like the ending a lot after like I started reading back into it. It was much more satisfying to read. Um, I, I thought you might enjoy the back half of this one. more. Yeah. It just well, you was, know, it was kind of a slow burn to start. If I'm being honest, I started reading eyes of the dragon as well recently and Eyes of the Dragon is a more complicated story than this story is. And I just thought that that was funny. Well, and I find that I, I'm also reading Eyes of the Dragon, and I feel the same way. And I find that really humorous because he wrote Eyes of the Dragon for his 14-year-old daughter. Yeah, and it sounds like a young adult novel while you're reading it. But, like, the way he writes it and, like, the story itself is pretty confusing. Especially because... It feels like it's connected to the Dark Tower series, but it really just seems like it has similar names. 
Like maybe I don't know. We'll talk about that in that episode. In that, but let's uh, jump into this recap of revival. Alrighty. So what chapter was it? Hold on, let me get to the start of that chapter again. It's page one seventy nine. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. Which and you're right. Like at this point, it really felt like the story actually started here. Um, he moves uh, to. Okay, so time on the clock. We're going to try and do this in under I got a timer going. Okay, ready? So, um, hmm. if you remember last, if you remember last, our hero, Jamie, was a heroin addict, and he was finally cured of his addiction by his longtime friend, past uh, pastor, past pastor, uh, and his all-around best guy pal, uh, Charles Daniel Jacobs. And after he's cured, he gets abandoned, and he ends up getting uh, help from Jacobs by via a job offer in Denver. So he ends up moving to Denver. He meets a dude named Hugh. Hugh had also been uh, cured by Jacobs. He uh, was deaf at one point, and Jacobs had cured his deafness. So the two of them uh, start making music together, and they start like kind of comparing stories and like seeing what else had happened with everything. As they are comparing stories, a lot of weird stuff starts happening. They start to find other stories popping up on the internet, um, and the whole story of this one takes place over what is it like fifty six years or something like that. I mean, the whole this section goes from like two thousand three. No. Oh, wait a minute. No, this goes from, like, when he's 36 to when he's in his 60s. So, like, 30 years. I think what it was was that he turns 56, and that's what I remembered. Yeah. Um, So, it goes through pretty much the later half of his life, and while he's there in Denver, he finds out that Jacobs has now become a revival healing preacher, where people will come to his big tent, and it's 2008, so, you know, he really goes hard on the... Oh, remember the good old times of tent revival service. Come and watch my service and I'll heal you. And he's ended up using his electricity secrets. And he's made these two little rings that are like wedding rings. And now he's shocking people. And he's shocking them to heal them with his wedding rings in the middle of these churches. And people are like, thank the Lord Jesus. And they're very excited and happy about it. But, you know, he's he's at this point very, they're rubes. I'm, I'm, I'm tricking them. I can't believe they're so dumb. And... Uh, he ends up meeting uh, with, oh man, Jamie and Jacobs end up meeting again. And he says, uh, you know, they talk a little bit and he pretty much kind of just like throws off all the blame for all the weird things that have been happening to him. Like when he was started stabbing his own arm and all this stuff. Or when that girl ended up uh, stealing all that jewelry and he just throws it off. And so, you know, it's, it's, Kim's right. It's a very slow burn because he ends up moving back and he ends up hooking up with his boss's daughter. And, you know, we hear a lot about that and we hear a lot about the music. And then he goes back to his hometown and then we hear about his family and we hear about all the things that happened to his family. And it's just there's a lot of extraneous stuff that didn't feel necessary. And as you get all of that stuff, you get the interesting things about the special electricity and what the door to death is and everything. So as, I think it's like 20 years, uh, Jacobs ends up, uh, oh no, it's not that long. It's like 10 years. No, it's not even that long. It's like three or four years. Three or four years later, he's visiting his family. And after that time, he hears uh, Jacobs is living, and he talks to all of them, and they hang out and everything. Then he goes back home, and he finds out that uh, he gets a letter. 
and it's pretty much saying your old girlfriend Astrid is got cancer and she's gonna die and if you don't come here to help me cure her I'm gonna let her die and it's from Mr. Jacobs and so he goes to back to Maine he agrees to help and Astrid you know her cancer is cured it's phenomenal it's really cool it's a really interesting like way that he sets up the scene with all the electricity and everything it really the way that he talks about the atmosphere in the room is really good i liked that a lot yeah uh, yeah you really felt like you were there yeah and it was interesting um so he heals astrid and he says in exchange for me healing your past girlfriend you have to come work for me this summer and he says, okay. And at this point, he's 56. Jacobs is like 80-something, 90-something. He's old, old. He's almost like decrepit in a wheelchair. <laughs> um, and uh, he comes back to work with him. Uh, I I know I'm missing a lot of the characters and stuff, but I'm trying really hard to make sure that we stay under it. And we'll introduce mm-hmm. uh, Jenny and everybody. But he comes back, and this woman named Mary Faye had been pretty much taken captive by him and she died and now he's at that very same place where he uh where jamie lost his virginity and that's where he's going to bring this woman back to life and so he brings this woman back to life but when he brings him back to life it's not actually the woman it's this mother character which is super interesting and i'm like interested to see if that comes from somewhere like if it's somewhere else um you know and then uh earlier i think that's his i think that's his homage to uh lovecraft there okay well and i know too because like uh the vermis mysteries is also a lovecraftian like grimoire so mm-hmm. it's like that's pulled straight from Lovecraft, and I mean he pretty right. much says it too, you know. Um, and uh, mother comes up, and the null and everything, and you know it's in this s- book, and I think that one of them, you know, in the last uh, episode, you had said that this is not a touchpoint novel, and I was like, wow, this is like you know, you were very certain on that, and it made me like mm-hmm. wonder about that, and you know. Now that I've read it, you know, it is definitely not in any way connected to anything else just because the depiction of the afterlife is so different from everywhere else. You right. know what I mean? Yep. So it gives it its own little world and perception. And, like, he goes into the... It's a very interesting, like, idea of, like, you know, the ant people and everything. And if uh, anyone out there is, like, super into Lovecraft and knows a lot about him uh, and wants to inform us about, like, what the connections are between Revival and Lovecraft, like, please, like, send us an essay and we'll talk about it. Uh, I know I haven't wanted to... I know a lot of Lovecraft stuff can be particularly awful and uh, uh, Yeah, I've outdated. heard that. And I haven't really read... And I haven't really read any of his, his work, but I know that this is a, a... Like I said, it's an homage to that. Right. So Jacobs ends up bringing this woman back to life. And just as he does, he actually gets possessed by that spirit that we were talking about, Mother. Mother ends up scaring him pretty much to death. And then, mm-hmm. um, you know, Jamie stands up and he, like, shoots bullets at the uh, dead body. And he, the mother, like, leaves the body. And, you know, he's like, I know that I'm just going to end up back in that hellscape, but uh, I'm alive right now and that's all that matters. And he moves to Hawaii and he... Uh, Starts getting some real stick therapy. Right. Yep. You know? I mean... It's kind of like... It reminded me, too, of, like, uh, the ending to Misery in a lot of ways. Yeah. Just, you know... And he went through this really harrowing experience, and here's the after effects. 
And I think yeah. the chapter was even called After Effects. It is. It is. And uh, time. What are we looking at? How did I do? You did seven minutes and 42 seconds. So. Woo. Yay. <laughs> so revival chapter seven through the end it's i i didn't realize it i thought that there would be like a teaser or something at the end but it's like 400 pages mm-hmm. it was a lot longer than i thought it would be yeah yeah like, but but that was really the end of six was really a good place to stop because that's where that's like at the end of act one that's the end of Act One. Act yeah. Two is slightly longer, which is, you know, not typical, but it is. Uh, I ended up with a couple of uh, sticky notes in here. Um, a couple of ones that I thought were real fun is uh, specifically in this one, uh, Jamie experiences all of these like forward visions and stuff through dreams. Talking mm-hmm. once again, like, you know, Stephen King's uh, dream motif and, you know, the way that he thinks that people are pretty much. Uh, beholden to you know what they see in their dreams and i think that he's done a really great job of showing how important those dreams are yeah and i think that part of that stems from the fact that um he dreams and he's talked about that about how you know he writes to keep the monsters away and i think that some of his inspiration comes from those bad dreams that he has so I think that's part of the reason why the dream motif is so important through all of his books. Right. Um, so the um, and I think too that it shows. Uh, okay, we should analyze in order. I feel like my sticky yeah. notes. I'm just proud of myself for my sticky notes this time around because they're good ones. Um, so we start chapter seven in. Stephen King does a really great job of fleshing Jamie out as a character. We learn a mm-hmm. lot about him. You know, we know his family, we know his fears, we know his thoughts and ambitions, and like he does a really great job. But he also gives us so much more stuff than you would think we'd need ever. Right, but I think that it's important to remember that this J- this book is written from Jamie's perspective. This is his telling of his story, and these are things that were life altering for him. I guess you that know makes we sense. don't necessarily. It's not necessarily pertinent to the main story but it is important to know that these are the formative things that happened to jamie okay that makes sense i see that um especially when you get further into the story like towards the back end he's talking Mm -hmm. to us about his therapist and stuff and you know he's pretty much you can tell that this is a journal for him and he's been writing it down for himself essentially maybe he plans on selling the book yeah, it's well, and it's definitely. I definitely feel like that this this telling is part of his therapy. Yeah, you know, because he he has to write down somewhere the things that he can't tell his therapist, so his therapist doesn't lock him up. Oh, definitely, that makes a lot of sense. There's this. There's certain things you can't talk about the ant people in real life, or right. You know, you well, would and, end and up he can't next talk to your about brother. Shooting. Right, and he can't talk about shooting people because you know, murder. <laughs> and. People don't look too kindly on murder, you know? Nah. <laughs> um, so we get into this chapter, and I feel like I'm going to probably end up skipping over a lot of the family stuff. So if I do skip over something that's important, please, like, back me up. Um, and, you know, 
we, all of these dreams, there's these fun uh, endings, and they're all very similar. They all do this, something happened, something happened, mm-hmm. something happened. Um, and throughout the book, they made me like guess so many times on like what I thought this meant. Uh, you know, there was a couple of times where I kind of thought that Maury was inside of Jamie. And that was Maury trying to communicate and just, like, not understanding and just, you know, like, oh, no, something happened, something happened. But, um, and then at the same time, you know, as we get further on, uh, there's these moments where these creatures pop out and, like, talk to them almost. You know, I was not expecting that occult kind of uh, feeling. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, he does kind of tell you right from the very beginning that this is a scary book and there's going to be, you know, nods at all of these scary things and and the occult. And that's why we talked so much about the dedication list at the beginning. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think it's just I wasn't expecting different dimensional like hell beasts, if that makes sense. Like that Mm -hmm. didn't seem like Stephen King's thing. But, you know, later on we get this email and uh, it ends up pretty much saying Lovecraft over and over again by name. So, you know, it's important in that way. Uh, right. Um, you compromise just to show you both up. So. Mm-hmm. And this next chapter, pretty much, you know, it's all of the times that he gets this uh, dream and he ends up in uh, Nederland or Nederland which is about an hour outside of Denver, as we uh, Kim found out. And uh, mm-hmm. sh- he pretty much gets this really cool job as a music producer working for this guy named Hugh Grant. Or, right? Is it Hugh, Hugh Yates. Grant? Hugh, Hugh Gates. Yates. <laughs> Hugh Grant's the actor. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to call him Hugh Grant now for the rest of this. So um, Hugh Grant is also someone who is cured by... Jacobs, and to be honest, you don't find this out for quite a while. You know, there's a lot of, a lot right. of. Uh, well, I mean, stuff. Just nothing of it is not. It's but I feel like that that's stuff. one of those things that you know, Charlie tells Jamie that this guy owes him a favor, and that's why he sent him there. So you know, I felt like that kind of nodded at the fact that, you know, Charlie had done something for him. Oh, absolutely. At some point in the past. And I felt like it was natural to assume that 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 included healing him from something. So he ends up getting this job and I think it flashed forwards like five years. Right. And it's him like he's doing a real good job at this job. He's like built a name up for himself. He's working real hard and he's uh, on the he's put on some weight. He's getting do you know looks normal and acts normal and is doing the things and he's yeah definitely doesn't look strung out anymore yeah he's not a heroin addict anymore he's doing good mm-hmm. and he's on the right. internet and he sees this uh poster for a old-time tent revival hugh finds that hugh find oh yeah and he hugh, says hugh finds it and is like send jamie to me right now we've got to talk and so Hugh Grant says, look at this uh, poster I found. And Jamie has, you know, this is the first time that I really, like, realized when this book was written. Because he makes a joke about Justin Bieber. And I was just like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah. That's, yeah, I just completely, like, it, it It really caught me off guard reading about Stephen King making jokes about Justin Bieber. But I liked it. It was great. Right. 
Um, and I can't wait to like read uh, the newest. Uh, what is it? Tom Gore? No, Billy Summers that comes out. Billy I think Summers. Be yeah. Interesting to see. And we get this poster, and it gives us a lot of information. But it pretty much, you know, tells us that, and they come to the same conclusion. The characters that Charlie has changed his name to Danny. And we find out that's his middle name, so he didn't really change it, but he started using that instead. He's got his own TV show, Renew Your Soul right. Through Song, Refresh Your Faith Through Healing, Thrill to the Story of the Holy Rings, Told as Only Pastor Danny Can. And as you start reading through this, you know, it just comes off as a, a mega church thing. Of, like, you know, it's one of those big old, like, come on and get over here and give us right. your $20. It's a, it's a faith healer. Right, faith healer, mega church, definitely smarmy. Oh yeah, um, but you know, people when they're in their worst moments and their most dire need will do a lot of things, and they decide. That well, that- and you know, his old buddy Reverend Jacob ne- Jacobs needs the money. Oh yeah, he's uh, and you know, he 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 needs the money for his continued experimentation and he's got big plans as like he pretty much had told jamie when Mm -hmm. he left you know he was going to accomplish some things and this is when uh hugh grant tells jamie about how he had been cured of deafness by jacobs in detroit which is like you know so you know you normally he's probably never told anyone that story because who would believe that but here's a man jamie who believes him and then tells him a similar story about how he was cured of his drug addiction so it adds at that moment you know like this you've always it's really cool how it's written in jamie's point of view and he calls charles the fifth business the whole time because you know he's he actively Mm -hmm. is like every time i ran into him my life got wildly different and it's fun to see that like level of awareness in the character it's very meta um Yes. And uh, he uh, goes to the... They decide to go to the revival together. They go to it, and it's a big affair. You know, there's like a 12-person gospel group that comes out and sings. And then there's this one solo man named Al Sumter who had been... uh, Had like muscular dystrophy, right? Or something like this. And uh, he ended up uh, not just being able to do anything mm-hmm. anymore. And he uh, fixed, cured him of everything. You know, muscular dystrophy and everything. And he was able to play right. the guitar and everything again. So he became his right-hand man like Jamie was in Tulsa. Um, right. So Hugh and Jamie are in this revival. They're watching the show and everything. And... Uh, he comes down and he does the like thing. He does the healing, which yeah, he, he does, does through the, the rings. The healing touch thing, right, right. Which of course you know, Jamie and and Hugh are both like, well, that's not how he did it with me, but I can see exactly what he's doing. Right. And he and he lied about you know he he told a story about the the two rings and specifically told a lie about how his family died. Mm-hmm. Which and, Jamie called calls him on later. Well, it's it's you can get see the point now. You know, in the lightning photography, there was these kernels of truth, and like you know, he didn't seem to be just 
blatantly taking advantage of people. This man is. He doesn't care anymore. He's ruthless. He's taking what he needs and what he wants. Right. And they are in the middle of this, and when he does the touch healing, they feel this like big surge of electricity go through the tent. And all of a sudden, Hugh Grant starts freaking out. And he runs, uh, he like right at the end of it, and he runs out. And just as he's running out, Jamie sees him running out, so he follows him out. And he's like, "Hey, are you okay?" And he's like, "Man, I don't know. I'm freaking out. I just started seeing all these prismatics again." And before we had talked a little bit about them, and he had said that the prismatics were just these lines and fractals and images that he would see in the world when he would just look around and stuff. Right. It was like it was his after effects. You know, Jamie did the. The something happened and stabbing himself with a fork. And what happened for and Hugh the was the... And the dreams. And what happened for Hugh was the these prismatics. These uh, sight... Like, almost they're like uh, hallucinations. Like, mm-hmm. were, uh, the way that... They reminded me of how he described mescaline for Roland in uh, yes. Gunslinger. Yeah. You know, it was just... The world was just turning a little differently. And he steps out and he's just like, everyone turned into these, like, ant monsters. And everyone was just working for this uh, main ant and blah, 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 blah. And it's just a such a far-out concept. You know what I mean? Like, um, immediately I was just like, what? What are you doing with this, Stephen? What does this mean? Like, what do these ant people mean? Like, are they going to... Mm-hmm. I really would love to, like, have seen someone go into this universe. Yeah. And that's the... Like, it's so good at the foreshadowing, too, because... It is not. It doesn't stand out enough that it makes you go like, "Oh my god!" Now I know the ending. But it does stand out enough now that when you reach the end and you go, "Oh," you can be like, "I remember those ants in this other chapter too." Right, That's right. Really great. Hugh, Hugh had a, a glimpse of the other side that time. Well, and I like the fact that you know when they when they leave, they ride back in silence, and Hugh's like, "Don't ever." speak his name to me again right and, and and if you do bring him up to me again you're out i'm done we're we're not we're just never gonna act we're gonna act like this never happened and he pretty much never brings him up to him again um and i'm trying to find the part um yeah this is the one um they didn't get a chance to talk to him this time. Right. And so, uh, you know, they just get right. to see Yeah, the they kind of hung out in the back. They just, they were there to be observers this time. Right. You know, and, and Jamie doesn't bring him up to Hugh, but he doesn't let it go either. No, not at all. So at this, uh, what is it? The, I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's just, they don't say it all that often. He just ends up calling it like the studios. But Yeah, Wolfjaw Ranch. Wolfjaw, Wolf, thank Jaw you. Wolfjaw Ranch, yeah. And at Wolfjaw, there's a woman named Georgia, and Georgia's daughter's name is Brianna, and she's got a degree in computer research. And so Jamie had tapped her to help him do research on the internet. And one thing leads to another, and when she comes home to visit, they end up essentially becoming, you know, a little couple. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. there's uh, some this fun moment where the mom is like, you know that you're just like... Well, you know how, like, you'll give a 16-year-old a beat-up car to practice with? You're that old car. Right. And it's just, it's really funny, like, the way that she says it. But at that point, he's, like, 40, 
in his 40s or 50s, and Brianna's mm-hmm. in her, like, she's 24. 20s. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they end up doing a bunch of, uh, uh, they do a whole end up, bunch of research. Yeah. Whole bunch of research. And they find out that, uh, he is living, uh, in a place called The Latches, which is eerily close to his hometown and where all of his family is and everything. Mm-hmm. And he goes home, and uh, he goes to just talk to uh, um, Jacobs. And while he goes to talk to him, he has a new bodyguard. He has a new dude named Al Sharpton. And he pretty much says, you know, I'm... Stamper. Or Al, Al Stamper. Stamper. It's, it's, the, it's the gospel singer guy. It's, yeah. It, he's, it's the, he's his kind of personal assistant. Uh, Al Sharpton. Um, Al Stamper. Stampler. Stamper. Al Stamper. Okay. Oh, yeah, because there's a funny joke later where he says, and right. then uh, as funny as it is to say, Al Stamper stamped off. Uh, so we, they talk him pretty much, you know, he says, I've made enough money now. I don't need any more money, so I'm just going to work on my experiments. But this guy has got a weak little belly, and he can't do it, so I need you to do it. Um, and at this point, Jamie says no. Um, and it's interesting because... Well, and, and he confronts him with what he, his research has found. He's like, yeah. hey, all these people that you have heal, healed, you know. In air there's, quotes. There's, right, healed, yes. Um, you know, there's after effects that you are ignoring, and you've got to stop doing this. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm done. I'm not going to do that anymore. Why would I do that? that yeah, and he says, uh, yeah, I'm not going to do the faith healings anymore. I've uh, made it a science now. Now I have a, a whole workshop to do it with and everything. So it's going to be a lot better. And I think it, it's just interesting because he says no, and Jamie just leaves. And it feels like Jacob's kind of uh, gives up on it a little bit, you know? It didn't feel like he was trying that hard that time. Right, right. So uh, he says no, and I think it's interesting because, you know, it almost feels like he gives up. And he ends up like we had talked about earlier, giving him that letter that forces him essentially to come back. And it feels like, to me, it made me think that Jamie just came too early. You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And he's like, I need you, just not yet. I don't know how to do it yet, but soon. So he almost offers him this job just to like, pretty much to re-cement to Jamie, like, you're important to me. You know, Mm -hmm. like, you're on my mind. I think about you and you're going to be a part of this. Right. And he's like, you know, I could take, you know, I could take you on now and you could take the whole trip with me, but I, you are not essential to what I need yet. And it, Jamie ends up, uh, Stephen King puts this section in here for us, the reader to, it's, it's cool how it's structured. So the next section is essentially Jamie going home to be with his family because his uh, brother is having a wedding anniversary. It's their 35th wedding anniversary. And then it's also the first birthday of his niece. And, you know, he comes home and it's really, really festive and great. And we get to meet up with all of the characters that we met in the first half of the novel that have grown up, like Norm Irving and uh, Andy, not Andy, Andy died, uh, sadly. You know, there's right. a lot of, but you know, his family- a lot of people died. Right, his family that's left, and you know his bandmates from his high school band, and um, 
and they have this big party and the chrome roses end up playing and he gets talked up on stage and he gets a chance to go and hang out with them and like very very conspicuously missing is astrid you know she's not brought up at all there and you know it in, I didn't notice it when I read it the first time, but when I was like, when she finally got brought up later, it made me like realize like, oh, that's why she didn't have a cute little reunion like everyone else did. <coughs> so sorry. Okay. Yeah, Kim is sick. Everybody, by the way, she's yeah. So bear fighting with through me. some uh, sinus issues. We live in a valley here, so okay. we're about what is it like 160 feet below sea level or something yep. like that. I don't know. It's stupid, but it's a hole, and everything just accumulates and lays there, and it's awful. And everything takes... It still takes forever to get things here, even though we're all downhill from stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have this big party, and the Chrome Roses play, and the way that Stephen King sets it up is, you know, it shows that his hometown still means a lot to him. These people that he grew up with, his brother, his brother's wife, his niece and nephew, like those are people that Jamie cares about a lot, so he'll do a lot for them. Put himself in like silly situations and make himself really uncomfortable for them. Uh, you know, and I don't really think like, you know, what's this it's similar in some ways, like when we talked about later for me. Like some of it is just like filler stuff to make a novel a novel, you know? You know, we get some of the fun stuff of, you know, his life and you know it really fleshes him out, but it's not important here. You know, it's not something that we really need to dive in about the way that he talks about his brothers and his sisters. I think one thing I wanted to talk to you about that I thought was interesting is during this section, there's very much a uh it makes me feel like if Steve wonder not feel like it makes me wonder if Stephen King might have based this on one of his own home like home reunions, you know. He has a lot of these times where you know he's just talking to somebody and uh, he, it talks about how he's missed all these things uh, that he his childhood and like all of those mm-hmm. like longings and that kind of stuff. And it made me feel like maybe Stephen King had recently had that kind of experience. He would have been in his fifties and sixties when he was writing this. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, maybe he went back to his hometown and had like one of these similar things where this friend he randomly brings up and, you know, your brother's like, oh, no, he's been dead for like 10 years. Isn't that crazy? And yeah. just those little moments that you just stop in your hallway and you remember when you were six and your brother gave you those uh, toy soldiers. And I really liked how he talks about aging in this novel. Yeah, and I think that this there's a lot of recognition of mortality in this novel. Oh yeah. You know? Then and, and I you know, he's not getting any younger. And neither are any of the rest of us, so that uh one uh, And and I also think it's important that we talk about the fact that his uh great niece, the baby, really, really took a took a, a liking to him, him. Yeah, yeah took a shine to him and just really connected because that becomes important later so which important, i think that like, little note right i think that a lot of this is because this you know reconnecting with his hometown becomes important later oh yeah especially because we end up coming back here and i think it's also important to like establish like Jamie is uh, super different from when he was here first. He's not the naive child he was the last time. He can right. see through Jacobs in some ways. Right. <clears throat> uh, 
And so uh, he comes home, and I actually had one of my sticky notes here because I really liked this line, and it, made, it was just it was really cute. And it says, um, "That's how you know you're home." I think no matter how far you've gone from it or how long you've been in some other place, home is where you want is where they want you to stay longer. And that was just mm-hmm. a good line. It was cute. Um, yeah. And so he gets back to his Colorado home, and he has a letter there, and it's from. Charles Jacobs, and it says, I have all of the ways to contact you, but I feel like the best way to contact you is through, you know, a letter, because that's an official way to contact someone. And he pretty much tells well, him that. Well, and I think, and, and I, doesn't he also say, and, you know, an, an email is super easy to delete, and if somebody takes time to write you a handwritten letter, it's a whole lot harder to just tear it up and throw it away without reading it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, you know. With the email, you don't even have to open it. You can just delete it from there. But, you know, with the letter, there's it's a lot harder to just tear that up and throw it away. And that's pretty much how Charles Jacobs manipulates him into opening the letter to read it. And, you know, I don't think he had to manipulate him. I think Jamie would have just opened the letter. I just think Charles Jacobs is at the point now where he's not taking chances. He's ensuring everything. Right. And he's pretty much, in that letter, said that Astrid Soderberger, his old flame from high school, has lung cancer from smoking too many cigarettes. And she's stage five. She's dead. And uh, she's got very little time to, li- uh, to live. But Charles Jacobs says he can heal her. And he's very positive about it. And he says, you come serve as my assistant and I will heal your friend. Yeah, and... and- and the letter that Astrid writes to Charlie is, it's heart-wrenching, you know, because she knows, she knows that she's in this position because she couldn't, wouldn't quit smoking. Right. And it's, she acknowledges it too, you know, it's such a stupid way to kill herself. You know, and she even it snuck packs in to like these places where she was being healed. And at the end of it, Jamie, after, you know, Steve pretty much spends that last couple of chapters establishing that Jamie is someone who cares a lot about those people and he wants to see their success. Uh, no, that's not the right way to put it. He will do anything for the people like that meant a lot to him, especially as a kid. There's something about Jamie's childhood that he's just, I almost like it's perfect. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's really like made his childhood like this picture of perfection. And anybody that was from his childhood now gets like almost like a special, it's, it's, you know, like a rose tint as you can want, you could say. Right, right, yeah. He he looks back on it with a fondness that I think a lot of us look back on aspects of our younger life with a fondness that may or may not be accurate. Absolutely. Ugh, absolutely. And I think it's fun to read Steve's novels because I think Steve makes it very clear that the things that happen to you as a child stick with you, you know? They are not right. just come and gone like what you experience and what you hear and what your parents say to you and what other people say to you it 
last until you're in your 50s and 70s, like helping a you know 90 year old man bring a woman back to life. Mm-hmm. That's all you can think about sometimes. Still, is how you lost your virginity in that bed, and. I think Steve does a really good job of showing that and telling that to his audiences about the importance of what you're doing now and how it will be important later on in life. At least for me as a young man, I feel like that's a good, strong message I consistently get through his novels. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I did. There was, like you were talking about, though, there is a lot of... Uh, Jamie really has to be aware of his own mortality a lot, and he talks about it a lot, too. Mm-hmm. Well, because he knows that the fact that he's even still here is probably a miracle. You know, we go back to that note that the band leader that fired him wrote him and said, a year from now, which was in like 1992, you know, a year from now, if you don't change things, you're going to end up dead. And here we are, fast forward, we're in 2014. And so not only did he escape that, but he's completely escaped that and he's healthy and he's growing old and he knows he's living on borrowed time um go ahead like like we all are but oh yeah but he's living on borrowed time that was taken from something else it feels you know he says earlier on that like he feels like someone's watching him the whole time after this like and he's always like felt like that so Mm -hmm. it's interesting like it's it you know we just read later, so I was in this vein of, like, hauntings and the supernatural aspect. So, like, you know, when we start getting into, like, the other dimensions and stuff, I was not expecting that. And it was really fun. But it's very scary to have these kind of, like, those giant thoughts of doom like that all of the time. Right. And, and I always feel like there's somebody looking over your shoulder. Yeah. That's a lot of paranoia. Uh, I can only imagine... If those, what other people who are going through these after effects are uh, feeling and what their emotions were like. Because I know right. Jamie's are very different after the shock. Right. Um, so he ends up agreeing and he goes back to his hometown. And in his hometown, at the same spot where he lost his virginity at Skytop with the rod and everything, there was that well, resort. Yeah, that was that was near it. Yep, it was called Goat Mountain Resort, um, and it was the one that was gated off, and you couldn't get into it unless uh, you knew somebody there, uh, or you ro- were a member. It was it was the country club. It was okay, like the country club. That okay, that makes a lot more sense. And uh, Jacobs just buys it, so he buys the whole country club uh, with the ski range and the mountaintop and sky top and everything. And he buys the little shack up there, and it's all his now. So he invites Jamie and Jenny, or not Jamie, Jenny yet. Uh, no, he invites Jenny. It's Jamie. Mm-hmm. And then he also invites Astrid and Astrid's uh, partner slash nurse, Jenny. Right. And Astrid at this point is just does not believe anything's going to work. She's very content to just die. And she really is only doing this because... Jenny had had her arthritis cured by Jacobs at one of his revival tent shows. Right. So Jenny has been like, hey, let's give this a try. It may work for you, too. And Astrid's like, whatever. You know, if it will make you feel better, I'll I'll try. 
but um, she doesn't think that she doesn't think that Charlie can do anything for her, which I mean, reasonably so. Yeah, and I mean, Charlie definitely doesn't uh, care about either of them. He just knows that this is the way he's going to get Jamie to help him in the future. Right, right. This is his key. Yeah, he's like, this is what I got to do to get what I need. So sure, I'll help this girl get not have cancer anymore, I guess. I don't care about that. And so after he cures her of cancer, he even says, don't talk about me. Don't tell anyone that I did this. I don't want anyone to know that I was involved. Astrid ends up uh, being strapped down to this table kind of thing. You know, it really gave me a lot of Frankenstein vibes, you know, with the workshops and everything. He ties her down into her wheelchair. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. She just, again, she's trying to be held down. He makes a big deal about how uh, she's going to get a lot, like, she's going to start bucking in, like, she's definitely going to have to be held down. And she gets hit with this electricity, and now it's at the point now where Charles has these special divining rods, almost, with little bulbs on the end. Mm -hmm. And he touches the edges to her temples, and she just goes unconscious for a second. And in that moment where she's unconscious, she says, uh, the stuff she says it's almost you know this is where it got very supernaturally and uh oh what the heck is going on i'm very invested like in figuring this out because she says that there's a door open and that it's covered with ivy and it's a pastel yellow and then charlie says who's there and she says no one that you are no she says who astrid who and then uh she says not the one you want Mm -hmm. so you know you get this feeling like if he is trying to bring his wife back to life, he's not going to bring her back to life. He's going to bring something else back to life. And it tells us that right here. Right there. Yep. Yep. And then, and she, she tells Jamie something happened, didn't it? Something happened and mother will be here soon. But she doesn't tell Charlie that. Um, and it's, Jamie seems to just be, it's like since he has that special electricity in him since he was healed, he's like Mm -hmm. a conduit. Yeah. Um. And, And for the first time in a while, after all of this happens with Astrid, Jamie wakes up in, in that fugue state. With a pin from the bedside table curled again in my right hand, using it to jab my left forearm. You know, the something happened. Exactly. And he said it was stress. Stress is what brought on Hughes Prismatics at the Norris County Revival, and it was stress tonight. Besides, it's not like you poured salt in your own eyes. And he has another dream, too. And so there's mm-hmm. a bunch of, like, um, after he's had this contact with this energy again, it's getting worse again. Right. A proximity thing. Uh-huh. It's having that energy in the room, it seems like, you know? And it's weird because it's not really talked about how he harnesses it. We don't get into that. That's what's interesting about this book is I feel like anyone else would have written this book from Charles Jacobs' point of view, you know? Right. But since we're doing it through Jamie's point of view, we have all of this extraneous stuff while we're trying to get these big details, but... Jamie doesn't know what's important to tell us. He's just seeing everything that he's seeing and trying to relay it and remember right. it, you know, and years so we later. never get and so we never get the specifics of it. 
Mm-mm. Which is, you know, Stephen King does that in a couple of things, so that way he doesn't have to dive too deeply into the math, the uh, science of it. You know, we saw that in The Stand quite a bit right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Just kind of vaguely dancing around it, so that way you can kind of be like, okay, cool, and, you know. You know, he gave you enough to make it plausible, but not so much that, you know, people were going, I don't know if I believe that. Yep. It was one of those things you can let yourself believe could happen. Mm-hmm. And I just think that this is fun because it really stamps up some uh, real fun with the revival tent uh, service stuff. I think that that's a fun little trope that it does here. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's almost like it evolves from that into a Frankenstein book. And it really right. it, it's like a Lovecraft Frankenstein adventure. And at this point, he's got these after effects. They're starting to pop up again. He goes back and he tells Hugh that he's just pretty much going to have to uh, take a couple of weeks off. And uh, through all of this, he and uh, Bree, which was kind of his girlfriend, have been doing this research about all of the things that have been happening. And this is when we get into this really interesting, uh, um, these interesting connections. Uh, oh, there was also a one little thing, like connection that I thought was fun. On um, page 341, when uh, um, he calls him and he says, it's time for you to come for the summer. He says, uh, a whistle and I'll come to you, my lad. Which mm-hmm. was what the kid in later says to make, right. or what's what the professor says. So uh, I'm curious to see if that phrase is going to be somewhere else. Like that's well, fun. it says it's. It says it's another spooky story, one titled, Oh, Whistle, and I'll Come to You, My Lad. So I guess I need to look that up. I wonder if it's like a real story or if that's just something that... I don't that, know, uh, but I'm going to find out. I mean, not right this minute. <laughs> and uh, we do see a lot of other like crossovers and like, tie-ins here. One of the big, like interesting one is uh, Divermis Mysteries, which is a... Uh, that's the one that's the Lovecraft. Yeah, it's um. Well, and and I think it's important to also point out that he, you know, he after Astrid was healed, he went back to Colorado, made arrangements to take this leave of absence, and told Brianna that, you know, he was done. He wasn't ever going to have anything to do with Charlie Jacobs again. They were going to quit doing the research. They were going to, you know, so he he kind of separated himself from everybody that he could be drawn back to or connected to or was was going to have any kind of uh, hold that Charlie could use against him. And I, I was thinking, too, that maybe, you know, this could be set in that same universe where this Ludwig Prin was a real person. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe, uh, I like the way that Steve does kind of tie it into the rest of his universe with the use of doors and having yeah. uh, the doorway of death be a literal door that has all the ivy and everything covered on it and how he's talking about trying to open it to see through it. I think that that seems to be a motif that's going to stay pretty strong as I continue to read his books. Yeah. Um, and... That direct uh, tie-in to the Lovecraft uh, stories and grimoires is super interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and you know it gives it almost that sense of uh, extra special storytelling just building into the world of it and it's you know if you got really deep into the story you could go and look up other things about this one and find out other things and go and like look into the secrets of the worm and the mist or the mysteries of the worm and look at more of this uh grimoire and i think mm-hmm. that that's really cool that that's a thing that's even available right right yeah you could actually go back and read where the inspiration came from um Ow. So Jamie gets back to Maine and, you know, Charlie's not ready for him yet. It's really, he's like, come here, but wait, be near. So he gets a hotel and he, he goes about doing things, but he doesn't go. He stays away from his hometown and avoids his family. Again, I think that he's trying to make sure that there is a distance between anybody that Charlie could use to manipulate him. And he's very actively trying to keep that space there. Yeah. And I think that he's good at that, too. Mm-hmm. Really good at it. They, they, they make it a point to talk about how good he is at it, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think the cool, like the Devermi mysteries, uh, I'm sure I'm saying that super wrong, is just also mentioned in a lot of other things. Like I've heard of it in Doctor Who, and uh, I know it was mentioned uh, in like Hellboy, that old movie with uh, old movie. It was like 2000 something, but with <laughs> Ron Perlman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there's a lot of like little ways that it's been used, um, which is cool. Um, I saw on the Wikipedia page that there was some other like Stephen King ones, and then I like had to scroll past it because I didn't want to spoil anything for myself. So <laughs> it's I, I think so it's, hard, isn't it? Yeah, it's cool though knowing that they're, it's going to pop up somewhere else as well. Um, through all of this, though, he cures Jenny of the cancer and it, Astrid. He Astrid, cures Astrid, thank you. Yeah, he cures Astrid of the cancer, and we do Jenny, his, her nurse and lover, ends up being very important at this moment because she's pretty much said, "If you can cure her, I'll work for you for the summer." Um, right. So now, and, through Astrid, he, oh, Charlie owns Je- uh, Jamie and Jenny, who have both agreed to come back for the summer. So they leave, and he comes back. He has another, and they. He has another stroke, uh, Charles does, before they even get back. But at this point, he's so focused on his goal, he doesn't care. He just wants to see if he can bring someone back to life. And this is when he starts really just laying it all on the table for Jamie. He's like, I'm going to bring this woman back to life. She's up there, you know. And he lays it on the table very strategically. He doesn't say what he needs to say until uh, he's already gotten a little bit of what he needs or what he wants. Right. Like, he doesn't tell, uh, so he takes Jamie up to the cabin where he lost his virginity on Skytop, and Jenny has been up there mysteriously, like, for, nobody can go up there, and as they're going up there, he finally says, there's a woman up here, her name is Jenny Fay or Mary Fay, which was a fun little, it seemed like an allusion to Mary Shelley in that moment, mm-hmm. um, which was really great, and she's been up here on a, uh, um, thing, a, uh, a breathing machine, yes, thank you. And she it just died. We just unplugged her ventilator. She's been dead 15 minutes now. And we're going to bring her back to life now. 
And as you can expect, Jamie is not super stoked about this. He does not like, you know, there's difference between curing something and like bringing someone back to life. But he goes into the room and it is filled with that. Just the moment that that room gets, they step into that room. It's so frenetic and it, yes. it feels like, like I got anxiety just reading about what it was like in the room. So I can only imagine how terrible it was to be in there. Right. Yeah. I think that, you know, it took him 30 pages, 35 pages to describe everything that happened there. 25 pages to describe everything that happened there. But the fact that it took 25 written pages to, to go through all of that in, and it probably took minutes to happen in the room. Yeah. Right. It was it's super anxiety. It's really, yeah, oh yeah. And so stretched out and like everything is so specific that you really, it builds that room for you. And mm-hmm. he puts this diode helmet headband on top of this dead woman. And they just sit there patiently waiting for the lightning to strike. And pretty much, you know, we talk about what we had kind of theorized at the beginning is that this lightning is the, the secret of the universe, like he had talked about. It is the life force. It is the force magnum, whatever, whatever that Latin mm-hmm. phrase is. Magnum potus, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I think that's cool, too, because that's like a real Catholic uh, concept. Right. And so, yeah. like, you know those tyings in and then him being a priest and like having those ideas and stuff like already in his head and finding out like how he can use them. I thought that was a really cool way to tie all of that in as well. Right. Yeah, I agree. And you know, and then Jamie's like, I'm out of here, man. You are crazy, but he can't leave. He's, he's trapped there by circumstances and the storm. And because it's the, you know, there's thunder and lightning and, He's up in the middle of nowhere, and so he's trapped. And and Jacob's, I. it's awful, you know, because he knows Jamie, and he knows Jamie's family, and he's like, you can find out what happened to your sister. Don't you want to know? You can pull Don't her back from know? the other side? Right. And he uses those ties of manipulation that we, knew were, that we know are super effective on Jamie. Right. And that Jamie did a really good job of, of making sure he was away from to come back here to visit, to come back here to do this job. But Charlie, of course, is going to pick and, and pull, and he knows. He knows how to get Jamie to do what he wants. The lightning strikes, and the helmet glows, and Mary just kind of starts to vibrate. And her muscles start to twitch, you know, and she starts like almost uh, just kind of like not shaking, but like vibrating. Honestly, it seems to be the best way. Yeah. And Charles goes over and he starts hitting her and he's like, wake up, wake up. You're alive. I know you are. And then all of a sudden her eyes open and they're like bright blue, like piercing blue or black eyes. Um, And they like meet together in the middle of her face to form one big eye. And I was, that was just, that was the weirdest and coolest, like, idea and explanation. And she pretty, sits up and she's like, I am mother, and you've brought me out here. Uh, I want you, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't really remember what she says. Uh, the scene itself was more of what was, like, really striking. Right. Um, and 
it ends up uh, killing Jacobs in like fright, essentially. Right. And Jamie grabs this pistol out of the gu- uh, drawer and he shoots her. And he ends up, uh, he theorizes that, of course, he probably didn't kill Mother, but whatever offer or whatever Mother was trying to get from him, that was effectively a no. And he, right. like, commit, like pushed her, like, I don't know, I guess you could say, like, uh, drove her away is a good way to phrase it. Yeah, yeah, he drove her away from himself. You know, she had gotten Mary... And she had gotten Pastor Jacobs. Jenny left, so she didn't get her. But that left Jamie, and Jamie was like, nope, I will not be your conduit. I will not do this. Yeah. Um, and he... Uh, but she mentions the great ones, only the great ones in that- the null. Yes. And that is, that's specifically a Cthulhu reference. Oh, yeah, it is. The Great mm-hmm. Ones have always been a, uh, the Elder Ones, the Great Ones, the people in the Null, vo- null z- low, what did he say? The Null Zone, right? Um, Something like that. The Null beyond that door. Yeah. Um, th- and it's no fun, death, though. No death, no light, no rest. No. Because nothing. I don't know if Mother is a character in the Cthulhu world but if it's not I think it's fun that he's pretty much adding his own character into that mythology yeah um, and it's an interesting character and I'd love to hear more about it maybe like one day we will uh, maybe one day one of us will write it and she comes back to life and he shoots her leaves him and it's pretty much uh, that's the the end of the story really that's that is you know paul sheldon escaping through uh from annie's house that is right that is the all right that was what was exciting so here's like where i'm at now and he talks about how he uh followed up with jenny and astrid and everybody that was there or like that had been cured and there begins to be a after that moment where mother came through on this side there's a big rash of murder suicides that start happening. Right. Anyone that was cured by Jacobs kills their partner and then commits suicide, which was something that we'd seen happen already at this point by someone that was cured by Jacob. Um, But it had not played out in the same way. Uh, it didn't fe- at the time. It didn't feel like it was completely motivated by the cure. Whereas this time, it is. Right, right. Everybody that was affected by it, something happened to them with this final experiment. Um, and slowly, Jamie even reveals that Conrad, his brother, whose voice had been healed by the doctor, um, he is even. Ben, he even tried to kill his partner and mm-hmm. uh, kill himself, but he failed on both accounts and ended up in a hospital. Just kind of proving that Charles Jacobs was messing around with this energy when he was 20-something. You know? I thought... And right. that's essentially the end of the book. And, you know, he says, I've forfeited my life. And, like, you know, now I know there is no heaven or anything. It is just the null. When I die, I'll be there working for my aunt overlords. Right. Right. Um, 
And yeah, that's Revival. I thought it was pretty okay. Um, but I was, what was I just about to say before that? Um, Jetport. Nope. I don't remember. Oh, darn it. <laughs> um, hold on real quick. Sorry, I went back and re-listened to it. That's why I disappeared ah. for a second. Um, so I was trying to say, though, that I think that a lot of this proves, with, with the big thing about Khan, the revelation of Khan at the beginning, at the end proves for me, is that Charles Jacobs didn't start doing this because his wife died. Right. He'd been there doing it a, before that. Right. There was a unhealthy fascination with these things even before Patsy and Maury were killed. I was thinking, you know, like he it probably became, it became his obsession because he didn't have anybody to keep him in line. You would definitely assume probably that uh the uh you definitely assume that the wife uh, that his wife Patsy was probably a little bit more level-headed and trying to you know kept him a little bit more grounded versus and definitely probably shied him away from playing the god yes right he had they gave him um a normal family life and so the electrical things were just an experiment just something to play with once he didn't have that anymore to keep him in reality he just started going mad with power and mad with his experiments and you know he really was a mad scientist oh yeah that's such a good way to describe him uh and i think uh you know, a lot of people uh, reached out and said that I would like the second half of this book a lot more. And you're 100% right. I did like it a lot more. Um, I still think that this is definitely on the low end of quality, though. This is not one of the better ones by any means. Um, yeah, it's definitely not not in my favorites. I mean, I, it was a good story and I enjoyed it, but it was definitely not one of my favorites. I think it would be a pretty cool, like, here's my movie pitch for it, right? Um, you start it right as uh, Jamie is meeting uh, Jacobs again for the third time at the Goat Mountain like resort, and it's him sitting down, and he's like, "Well, Jamie, everything that we've been through has led us to here. Who'd have thought when we were you were six years old that this would have happened?" And then mm -hmm. like, uh, and then flashback, flashback, yeah, and then like you have like you cut it in between those two, and you have these moments of Jamie. Uh, trying to figure out what Jenny is up to up in the house and also like you know Charles Jacobs being like real sneaky during those weeks that he's living there mm -hmm. and then in those moments you flash back to Tulsa and Colorado and what his childhood and I think that you know I think that would be a fun movie or TV series probably a better movie I think I think this would definitely be a better movie than TV series yeah because I think that there's not so much information here to not make a good feature-length film yeah and a lot of like the information too is just stuff that you can easily show as a film mm -hmm. um, and i know there's been a couple of people that have tried to adapt this into a movie already and it just keeps falling through so maybe one day we'll see that this is a movie i think it'd be good maybe we can pay him a dollar and, and buy one of the dollar babies and write it 
Yeah, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Just ask him uh, to pitch him our vision, see if he likes it enough. Right, right. He'd also probably need to produce it, but uh, who knows? Yeah. I, I feel mean, like he, if you get the rights to a Stephen King-like book, you might be able to like find a producer pretty a lot easier. I, I, I think maybe. <laughs> I think yeah, maybe. There's a, there's a lot of us nerds out here. Um, so let's, uh, do you want to rate this real quick? Sure. So, uh, let's see. Writing, plot, it factor. What are you thinking, uh, writing wise? I'm giving it a five. I, this was not as compelling of writing as I'm used to. It's a good story, but it's not compelling. I didn't feel like, I felt like I could put this down and walk away from it and come back to it later. And, and that was, um. As much as I enjoyed the story, that was kind of a bummer for me. Completely agree. I was going to give it a four for almost the same reasons. A lot of it for me, too, is it's just such a, you know, maybe I was just getting spoiled by reading some of the, like, older Steve stuff and where he's younger and he's being a little bit more pretentious, but he's just such a straight-through, like, easy chronological story with, like, nothing, like, really, like, artistic or fantastical about it. Like, mm-hmm. even Eyes of the Dragon has some, like, more interesting, like, structure and, like, story writing that I think yeah. blows this out of the water. And I'm only, like, on chapter, like, 23 or something like that there. Um, so, uh, what are you thinking for uh, plot? I'm going to give it a six for plot because I enjoy the modern twist on some of those old stories. Um, and And the... I mean, I've I've always kind of enjoyed the Frankenstein story, so a modern day Frankenstein story kind of was interesting d- to me. So I'm gonna give it a six. You know, I do like Frankenstein a lot. I wish that there would have been. You know, the thing that is good about Frankenstein though is that it doesn't actually have to do with the journey to re- making the monster. It's about right. what happens after, and I would yeah. have loved to have seen more of that. You know, maybe bring that revival a lot sooner into the book and show us more of like. Uh, the the really bad stuff that happens, or like what Jamie is trying to do, like there's uh, different ways that I think that it could have been a little bit more exciting, and it, and definitely not as long. Um, so for me, I'm definitely giving it a five. Okay. Um, and then it factor. I'm gonna give it a five there too, and for kind of the same reason as the reasoning as the writing, it just wasn't compelling. It was a good story, but it's not one that I'm going to be like, ooh, you've never read a Stephen King book before? Start with this one. you got to read Revival. No, you don't. You don't have to read no. this one at all. You can skip this one. Like, honestly, listen to our episode. Enjoy our commentary about Hugh Grant. And um, know that we read it for you. And then if you have any more questions, we'll just answer them. Because right. for me, it factors all. It's a five as well. Like, I just, you can't, I can't recommend this one to anyone. Unless they're, like, super into Lovecraft. Then I might be like, right. oh, like you might like this like Stephen King book that's basically a crossover. You right. Know, well, a- and I mean, I feel like that, you know, if it's somebody who's super into Stephen King or somebody who is, you know, I'm, I'm going to read all of them eventually. If I'm going to read A or B, what would you recommend? Yeah, I would say Revival maybe in that case. But it's definitely not one I'm going to be like, ooh, definitely. I'm still going to try to convince you to read The Gunslinger instead because that's yes. perfect. That's so good. It was so good. Um, and, uh, yeah, so this is the only one in this series. There's nothing else that really ties into it, right? No. Well, okay. I feel like, uh, that was a decent, like, little, uh, 
one shot and I, I think it's nice you know we read later which just came out this year but it's nice to read something a little bit newer you know the mm-hmm. little jabs at uh, uh, Justin Bieber talking about Obama being president you know they're dated in a current world but for the time it's it's more of what Steve does best which is create the world and time that you're in and really flesh it out for you yes and he did and that part of that aspect of the book he did a really great job with that you know you really could put yourself in Jamie's shoes as he was growing up and as he was going through those things that's what he does so so well and I can't wait to be reading uh, you know honestly like none of these have really been horror horror for me yet you know, nothing's yeah. been scary, scary. I'm, I'm excited. Like, you know, I hope we have some scary stuff coming up. I feel like it might be have some real good scary moments. Yes. Um, But other than that, you know, now that I'm really thinking about it, too, I don't think I've ever really been scared by a book. I don't think I've ever had, like, any kind of horror moment with a book. So I hope that we can find one of those. Yeah, I think we will. I guess there and, was... You know, a, there's a reason why he's classified as a horror writer. Horror novel. And I guess then Misery, there was a couple of moments where I was like, oh, ah... But, like, even here, I didn't feel like this was spooky. Like, the ending in itself is, like, really riveting, and it's very uh, electrically charged, one might say. Right. (laughs) But uh, I don't think it's scary by any means. I don't think any of this was scary. Well, and, and... But it was the closest to a monster book he's written in a long time. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'd love to have... Well, I guess he probably has written a monster book. It's called Christine. Yeah. <laughs> and Salem's Lot is a vampire book. And, I mean, uh, so. I'm, there's got to be more, like, I guess, I don't know. I never really thought about, like, what a it monster, a monster book, book really book. is. Yeah. Right. It is definitely a monster book, for sure. Right. So I guess uh, it's just a matter of seeing what monsters end up scaring me and not. I feel like the human right. monsters are always the one that scare me the most. I agree. I agree, which is part of what made, you know, Misery terrifying. So good, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I guess there is some, like, scary moments here, like, you know, the like losing control of yourself and, like, watching yourself do something when you can't stop yourself would definitely be a scary thing to experience. Right. And again, this is this is a, um, ultimately a human monster. You know, Charlie's really a monster. Oh, yeah. So. All right. Um, do you have anything else you want to add about the revival? About revival? I think I think that's all I've got about revival. Super looking forward to our next adventure. Time to put this one on the shelf and uh, get back into Eyes of the Dragon. Gonna read the body soon. Got the bridge coming up, and uh, after that, who knows? Who knows where we'll go? Hopefully, we do. We made this. We'll figure it out. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Otto Mullins, and I'm Kim Payne, and this has been my first time through. I hope you enjoyed. Well. No. And this has been my first time through. I hope you enjoyed your first time through. What did I? No, that's what I've been saying. Anyways, have a great day. I love you. Otto, Kim, that was incredibly interesting. Great job today. If you would like to support First Time Through, you can follow us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, or send us an email at firsttimethroughpodcast at gmail.com. 
You can also become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash first time through to get exclusive early access, to get exclusive videos, and to become our exclusive friends. If that's interested to you, I'm interested. First Time Through, New Eyes on Castle Rock is produced by Empty Theater Productions. It was created by Kim Payne and Otto Mullins. Editing by Otto Mullins. Music by Jason Rager. Art by Kurt Payne at Who Knew Art.